The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome to another edition of the Jason Barrett Podcast with yours truly, Jason Barrett. This is going to be our final episode of 2022 before taking a quick break for the holidays. I'm hoping to return with new content in mid to late January, so keep an eye out. Once we're ready to go, I'll share what's coming up either on the website, BSM social media accounts, or through our newsletter, The 888, which hopefully by now you have signed up for. If not, please do so. We distribute it daily along with the B&M rundown to keep industry professionals in the loop on what's happening across the media business. You can sign up easily on our website. Just look for the tab up top. For today's show, I'm looking forward to reconnecting with Fred Jacobs. I've been a fan of Fred's work for a long time. His daily columns on jacobsmedia.com are always interesting. His research work, especially the tech survey series, is fantastic. If you haven't looked at it before, make time to do so. Fred has been an advocate for the radio business and a valued resource to many brands and executives over the years as both a consultant, researcher, writer, and influencer. And with Twitter going bonkers, radio in danger on the dashboard, and words like recession floating around as we gear up for 2023, I thought it would be a good time to check in with Fred and pick his brain. Because there's a lot I want to tackle with Fred today, I'm going to skip doing what I've seen or heard. My chat with Fred is coming up in just a few moments. A few quick business items, though, first. We're having a special holiday sale on tickets to the 2023 BSM Summit, which is coming to Los Angeles on March 21st and 22nd. We'll be at the beautiful USC campus, more specifically the Founders Club, which is located inside of the Galen Center. It's going to be a great two-day event. We've got some big things planned, which we'll reveal in January, February, and March. And to save on tickets and reserve your hotel room, visit bsmsummit.com. The sale will run through Friday night, December 23rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. We just announced Jimmy Powers of the Ticket in Detroit. Rod Sharon of the Fan in Denver will both be part of programming panels. We also announced Matt Berger of Barstool Sports and John Goforth of Magellan AI will be there for a sales panel as well. This event gets full each year. We can't add seats. So if you want to be in the room, make sure to grab a ticket and take advantage of the savings. I'd like to also extend a special thank you to Fox Sports, ESPN Radio, Showtime, and Point to Point Marketing. They've all come on board as event partners for the summit. Usually our sponsorships get snagged in January and February, but this year demand has been higher than usual. We appreciate it. We do have a few left right now. I anticipate they'll go. So if you're interested in being involved, reach out to Stephanie Eads at sales at barrettsportsmedia.com. Now last but definitely not least, We began cranking out five podcasts per week in July 2022. The Jason Barrett Podcast is part of that mix, along with Media Noise with Dimitri Ravenos, the Sports Talkers Podcast with Steven Strom, the Producers Podcast with Brady Farkas, and Seller to Seller with Jeff Caves. We've tried to deliver content that serves different areas of the media business. Hopefully you found it to be valuable. Now, we don't charge to listen. We don't even involve a sponsor in our network as we've tried to focus first on building the brand and the content 
before worrying about attaching dollars. But to do things like this takes time, takes resources. If sponsoring our podcasts is of interest, Stephanie Eads can talk to you about it. If that's not an option for you, there's another way you can help. A simple retweet, passing along the link through email or Facebook, or just telling others about it makes a difference. I listen to some of the work we do, and I know that it not only helps people in the business, but also those going to school and wanting to enter it. Broadcasting is a massive industry, so if you like what we do and you want it to continue, help us out. Spread the word, because every little bit of support goes a long way. All right, let me get off my soapbox and set up today's conversation. Fred Jacobs is one of the smartest people in the radio industry today. He's a Radio Hall of Famer, the inventor of the classic rock format, and as the media business prepares for the unknown in 2023, I thought it'd be a good time to reconnect and talk shop. Yo, listen! All right, Mr. Jacobs, so today I wake up, I'm reading your website, and I see you're writing about Elon Musk, and I was like, all right, perfect. This is someone that I can have this conversation with who will understand because uh, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of these things the same way you are. On one hand, we both work with clients. We both like people in the business, want to see them do well. And you don't want to be overreactionary. At the same time, you don't want to be underreactionary. So as this is the CEO now, the owner of Twitter, and he's out there and he's not necessarily creating the greatest example. So in your world, when you're looking at this, whether you're a stockholder, <laughs> you know, whether you're someone who advertises on the platform or whether you're just a media brand that's promoting Twitter all the time, what's your early sense of whether or not Elon is someone you can uh, trust to lead you forward over the next couple of months and years? Uh, I'm really concerned um, on a lot of different levels. I'm concerned as a Twitter user about what's going on with this platform. And I should add, Jason, this is my platform. I mean, I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm slightly on Instagram. I'm definitely on LinkedIn. I don't like any of them, but I'm on them because Lori Lewis made me go on them. <laughs> but 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 Twitter is the one that I'm actually on by choice that, that I'm most comfortable with where I think I've actually made the best connections and I think I use it reasonably well. So I'm, I'm deeply concerned about just how erratic that's the best word I can think of it. Think of for uh, Musk at this point. And, and these polls are not making me feel any better. I mean, I, I don't think you run a company or a football team by doing fan polls to find out who should be the next quarterback or, you know, should we be able to edit tweets or should Donald Trump be allowed back on the platform? I mean, I, I don't need, I don't want that kind of voice on Twitter. So I'm very concerned about just how erratic he is. If I was a Tesla stockholder, I'd be freaking out too, because it kind of makes you wonder what's going on over there. I mean, and, and if you look at Musk's, feed i mean it's not just him making decisions he must be on it all the time and he he's kind of reacting like a high school kid would uh, very reactionary and lashing out and making quick decisions so that's a very long answer to a very good and short question but uh it's concerning to me that a major social media platform with a couple of hundred million uh, users is being buffeted around by this guy. You know, it's interesting when, when he first took over, and I think a lot of people sense that we're going to deal with some uneasiness here. I try not to be overreactionary because I think we can get lost in the noise of social very quickly. Oh, what does this mean? It means something bad. But what you just said there about, you know, taking fan polls to decide the next quarterback. And I, I go back like two years ago, the Oakland A's were tweeting out, should we re-sign our radio partnership? And I'm like, I don't want to see the president 
going to Twitter for validation of what's a good business decision. Unfortunately, now the platform itself is being decided by somebody. And I could just tell you, Fred, like we run a business, we promote content. We've had nothing but issues the last month with our URLs being blocked, things that we don't get responses on. And I go, all right, that's just my world. But if I'm a radio station and I'm pumping out content and I'm using my airwaves to make your brand and your platform relevant, at some point, if you can't satisfy what I need, when do I stop helping you on my my turf? Because look, I think, and you'll probably agree with this, radio and television, we were the, you know, we, we ran the roost for media and we elevated over the last decade and a half, Facebook, Twitter, we break content on these platforms, not on our own air. Correct. But yet, who's paying the price for it? <laughs> the media publisher, because all the money's going to these guys. So when you're talking to people in the radio world and they're asking you, Fred, what should I be doing right now? Should I be, you know, status quo? Should I be, you know, shortening how much I spend time on the platform and promote the platform? What, what goes through your head when you're watching this? Well, I don't think at this point, Jason, that we know enough about what the impact is. And, you know, th- th- this is a podcast where by the time people listen to it, Musk could be out. You know, he <laughs> exactly. I, I, be- I believe he's doing a poll right now. Should I continue on as CEO now? I mean, and he's losing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, does that mean that this is his runway to step down and put somebody who is less reactionary and more of an adult at the top? So I, I wouldn't do anything at this point except be mindful that at any moment in time you could be banned uh, or suspended uh, or things could get weirder and you do need to keep an eye on this it's really too bad because uh, i know so many sports stations and you and i've talked about this i mean twitter is the social medium of choice for sports fans and a yep. lot of sports stations have done a tremendous job of opening that connection between their fans and the jocks and the station and all that so it's a shame if this thing ends up getting damaged by the ego of the guy who bought it. But look, at the end of the day, he paid $44 billion for it, whether he wanted to or not, he paid for it. It's his right to do whatever he wants to do with the platform. So I I would urge, you know, the typical consultant gray answer, um, keep doing it, but be cautious. You, You know, what's interesting, Fred, you look at the last decade in the radio business and Companies everywhere have been hiring digital manager. You know, this person's going to really be a social strategist. And uh, do you know how to work with podcast charts? All these different things that weren't there a decade, two decades ago. And I look at this and I go, if Twitter became MySpace and Facebook has already lost some of its luster, at what point are radio stations having conversations about, you know, maybe we don't need that digital manager? Maybe we don't need eight people in a digital department. We only need two, which wouldn't be great for making digital thrive, which we've all said, hey, look, look where the revenue is going. It's going in digital. But that's all contingent on digital continuing to be relevant and not taken away from us. So if you're a radio station and digital isn't part of that, does radio benefit on a revenue side because some of those ad dollars come back? Or are we sitting here in a, in the future with another platform that we got to figure out? Yeah, I, I think we are what we are. And even if social media went away tomorrow, which it's not going to, I mean, has it lost its luster? I mean, I, I had somebody on my staff send me four different articles last week, all with the gist of social media isn't what it used to be. Um, it's not being used as much. The time spent socializing, <laughs> if you will, uh, is going down. And I believe that. I, I I do think that the buzz of it is not perhaps what it used to be. But I'm not sure radio is in any position to necessarily benefit 
from that. And we, and you know, what you said earlier is correct. We, we have done a spectacular job of promoting Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Alexa <laughs> and, and all, all kinds of stuff. But we have also benefited on the other side. I mean, we've been able to reach a bigger audience. I mean, let's face it. There's more people going to Facebook than there is going to our websites. Yep. So there, there's clearly an opportunity for us to bring in audiences. But again, there, there's, there's that cost benefit and, and uh, again, that doesn't mean that the equation isn't going to change and that we do need to reevaluate how many digital people we have and what are they doing. Maybe it's not a matter of restaffing, but maybe reallocating, you know, what their duties are and maybe a little bit less time on social is something that's actually going to be a conversation next year. The thing that I was encouraged when Musk took over, he said, uh, I want to incentivize and reward publishers. And I thought, finally, cool. how many how many platforms, like I know I can make money off Google Ads, I can make money off YouTube. So there's incentive to put video content on YouTube and to have Google Ads on your website. But I don't get paid to tweet. I don't get paid to use Facebook live or to post on Facebook. And half the time they build you up, you get a hundred thousand people on it. They only allow you to reach 6% with organic reach. And so you got to pay to yep. get the rest of them. And meanwhile, you're on the air telling people go sign up for our Facebook page. So they don't pay you for the advertising. So I've always thought it's, it's, it's crazy and bizarre how this all works. We use platforms to go, yeah, we would charge a client this, but for you, it's free to get people over here. But once they do, you're going to charge me to reach them. It's just insane. But at the same time, look, if that's where the audience is, then you have to be where the audience is, right? Well, and I think that's the realization that most stations and companies like ours have come to. I mean, it, it it is a cliche. You do have to meet the audience where they are. And if they're on social media, then you've got to find a way to connect with them there. But again, how much time you spend doing that and what kind of return you get, whether it's financial or um, earned exposure or brand building kind of stuff, I think is certainly up for grabs. And and I think we need to realize that we're in a very fluid environment here that just because it was like this five years ago doesn't mean it's going to be like it like this five years from now. Things change yeah. quickly. And we've got to be smart enough to be able to track it. I mean, again, it's going to sound like a lazy plug, but I mean, look, that's why we do tech survey every year. I mean, mm -hmm. we're we're trying to get the moving picture of what is going on with technology and how the audience is interacting with it. And, uh, you know, I think back, I mean, this is going to be, I don't know, uh, 18th, 19th year that we've done tech survey in a row. And who knew back in 2005 that we would be where we are today, right? The iPhone was just coming on. Facebook was just opening up to regular folks and not just college students. So, it it's important to be able to continue to test what's going on out there and where the audience is and how they want to communicate with us. And sadly, a lot of radio stations don't have the budget anymore to be able to ask some of those key questions. I'm glad you brought up tech survey. I'm going to come to you in a little bit on that because I think what you do with it is fantastic. And I've Thank got you. a few questions, but I want to get your, your feedback on AM radio, because I'm sure you saw the piece that came out about how, and you've been at the forefront of this, paying, you know, back to CES and talking at different conventions about the way the auto industry is eventually going to change. And they're trying to put a bigger focus on the digital dashboard versus the, you know, the standard FMAM receiver that we've been uh, all grown up with. I mean, when you see this and, you know, obviously it's a if you're in position of owning an AM station, it's terrifying. You're, you're going, wait a second, my brand would not be relevant and, and found on a dashboard. And if I don't have a great digital strategy, I'm screwed. I can't reach people. And I was looking at something you wrote last week where you were talking about how extreme weather 
It really is important. And I thought to myself, like, okay, if this was taking place during Hurricane Katrina or some of the things that happened in community, AM radio has been a really important part of the local news cycle for people. On the other hand, <laughs> I was in a Tesla two weeks ago, and I'm going, why would I ever want what I used to have on my dashboard when I could have this machine in front of me? So if you're an AM operator today, should they be terrified by what they read last week? Well, they actually should have been terrified by what was going on five years ago and 10 <laughs> years ago. I mean, this is nothing new. It's just worse. And the fact is, I mean, this idea has sort of been in free float now for a long time. I mean, that's to a great degree why we jumped into the car space, you know, back in 2010 uh, when we did, we could definitely see the writing was on the wall that the car manufacturers were looking at the dashboard differently. And I, I think for context, broadcasters need to understand that really for the past, I don't know, 80, 90 years, the automakers, the OEMs have been putting our signals in the middle of their dashboards to a great degree without any kind of clutter or anything else. I mean, maybe there's been an A-track player or a cassette player or a CD player, DVD player, but it's basically been us. Um, we haven't paid a dime for that privilege. They don't monetize their radios at all. For the most part, they are standard equipment. And we're the ones making money off of AM, FM being in cars. So I, I think you have to go in understanding where they're at. The other thing I've learned over the years is that they sell their cars to the dealerships. That's it. I mean, once the car leaves the factory and goes to the dealerships, the OEM stop making money on the vehicles. It's the dealership that makes money on the maintenance, on the, on the bumping out, on rust proofing, if anybody even does that anymore. That's the dealership that is actually profiting. So the OEMs are, are, are kind of pulling back and saying, well, wait a minute, how can we actually make money on our vehicles in ways that we just haven't been able to before? So data is one of those things. I mean, they've yep. got a tremendous amount of information on where we are, what we're doing, what we're listening to, where we're going, where we're spending money, all of that stuff. So that's kind of part of the process as well is they're looking at different ways to monetize. The other thing that's coming are what they call microtransactions, which is where they, and they're already doing this in, in Europe and, and some other places where they're charging a subscription fee to get features like heated seats. So you pay $18 a month for the privilege of having heated seats Maybe you turn it off in the summer. Yep. <laughs> when, right. right. When 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 you don't need it. But all of a sudden these microtransactions are beginning to come in. And it really starts with Mr. Musk. I mean, everything kind of goes back to him, right? With the whole software updates that they are all now figuring out how to do. So that's a long way to kind of say. The automakers are obviously looking at AM radio in these new vehicles and saying, you know, in, in order to make a good listening experience in an electric vehicle, it's going to cost us some money to do this. We've got to put in a whip antenna or better insulation or all this. And obviously, some of them are saying, you know what, it's not worth it. And maybe the radio industry needs to make a stronger case. And I think that's what Senator Markey is is aiming for. Clearly, the emergency information, the reliability of AM radio, the fact that it's free. I mean, there's there are so many parts of this country that are rural in nature that do not have uh, Internet access like we do, you know, living in New York or Detroit or St. Louis or or any of those places. And, and it's very easy for the car companies to kind of overlook that. So it it is a concern, Jason. I mean, and, and there's a lot of moving parts, but I, I think that's kind of what the automakers are thinking. And the question is whether the, the government 
really has the fortitude to step up and and really push the automakers hard to guarantee that AM radio is going to be there. I'm not real optimistic that they will, but that's just my gut. What's interesting with it is, you know, when you look at what might be here in 20, 20 years, like I look at big cities and I go, how are they going to make the infrastructure work where, okay, we all agree the internet is going to drive it. Uh, electric cars are going to be here. Digital is going to be part of the dashboard. And this is antiquated. So eventually it's got to evolve and it's got to be better. What you touched on with regional towns. I live in a area that, you know, I'm an hour from New York City. You know, good luck if you can find more than one cable company, more than one internet company, something goes out, you're screwed for probably five days, right? So I look at that and I go, how would they get the roadways everywhere to be essentially an electronic grid to power these cars to be able to connect? But what the what you just said there was fascinating with the if I was inside the auto industry and I'm making nothing on the automobile after I sell it, of course I'm gonna look at this and go, there's a problem with this because I'm the one putting it together. You're the one benefiting. No, I need to either share in your revenue or I'm gonna have to find other ways, like you mentioned the heated seats, right? But right. Da- data is a bigger part of this to me because. The most frustrating, and I know you deal with this too, Fred, this rating system drives me nuts, right? <laughs> yes. I, I literally, have, I joke with people all the time. I call it programming for ghosts. You can chase these mythical creatures around. You're looking at a screen. It shows you a chart, but you don't really know their behavior. You know more about behavior doing tech survey than a radio programmer does working with a PPM system. But then you look at what Joe D'Angelo and Xperia uh, and are doing with in per, in studying the car and where a driver will go to, what stations they listen to. That's great data. Yeah. How does radio get deeper into that dashboard and data experience with the manufacturer so everyone can profit off of it? Because that, to me, is, I think, vital for the industry. Yeah, that's the holy grail thing. And uh Fortunately, Xperi and Ibiquity before it had great connections with the OEMs, and they continue to. And I think that is a great pathway forward. I mean, we there are still issues, and the automakers have tried this on their own. GM had a whole data division that really had nothing to do with radio. They tried to get radio companies to pay for it, and the radio companies wisely uh, laughed and said, you know what, you're on your own here. And they couldn't make it work. I mean, they even did that GM marketplace thing, if you remember that, where they basically just ran over radio and and put together deals with fast food restaurants, gas stations, and other kind of windshield businesses so that it was a workaround with radio. I mean, you know, your car would say, hey, there's a Starbucks up ahead. Here's a coupons to get, you know, 30% yep. off your latte. And and they couldn't make that work. So radio is is clearly an important conduit for them. I'm not sure they're sold through on that, but I think Xperi and companies like it are working hard to try and make that connection. But you're right. I mean, data is the key. But we still don't have the data that we need. And you talked about that. I mean, and there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, if we had a Nielsen person, you know, in the fourth box on the Zoom um, talking about, you know, what's going on with them. I mean, that's another whole story and, and probably a three part podcast. And, you, <laughs> and, and, and you'd want more people on than just me. But I, I think the capability exists for better measurement. I'm not sure that the radio industry is prepared to pay for it, A, and see it. <laughs> you know, be, See, that's be- the part that I find perplexing. Like when you're out asking for, and we can you know, do this at conferences all the time, we yes. should get more money. Okay, well then show me better proof that you yes. perform. 
Yes. So, well, but we can't do that because that would cost more money. Well, then why would I give you more money for for what you can't show me works? Right. It's a nasty cycle. Um, Nielsen might also make the case that they have offered the radio broadcasting industry better measurement and maybe not so much better measurement, but more expansive, inclusive measurement. And I'm not sure the radio industry wants to see satellite radio and tune in and Spotify and all the other pieces of the audio pie that we don't see now. I mean, all we see now is just AM FM radio with a little streaming piece at the end that really isn't terribly relevant or important. And, you know, the, the headphone piece is another thing. You know, I lost a good hunk of my hair over that uh, <laughs> uh, a, a number of years ago. So it it is a nasty process, but you're right. I mean, I heard somebody from Nielsen many years ago say, you can't monetize what you can't measure. And I don't think he came up with that, but it, it's very true. And yeah. so we're, we're, we're kind of stuck. And maybe, maybe the automotive piece it isn't as disastrous as it seems, but you know, when you're thinking about AM radio, not being in, in electric cars, it, I, I would be concerned for AM broadcasters out there, but I've been concerned for, for them for a long time. I mean, yeah, I mean, and if you're in their shoes, if you ran an AM station today, I mean, obviously they got to have an app <laughs> that's vital, right? Um, some of them though, they're in big companies and, they're lost in the wilderness in some of these apps. You've got a thousand stations on them. And so is there strong enough brand recall? So you go, okay, well, if you're inside of an app in a company that's got a bunch of radio stations, then you get a market to make sure that people know you're relevant. And most people don't have marketing budgets. So how do you make sure that in 2023, 24 and 25, you're top of mind with the audience if you don't have a marketing budget and you don't have a dedicated app? Yeah. And, and look, the app thing is also another conversation and, you know, full disclosure, as you know, but maybe not everybody does. We own a mobile app company. And so we've been very involved in the development there. And we've never been fans of the aggregated app situation for exactly the reasons that you just spoke about. I mean, you're, you're one of 400 or 700 or a thousand radio station. So how are you going to stand out even in your own company's app? Not to mention that your company is probably producing streams that are competitive with your radio station format on top of everything else. So I, I do think it does come down to if, if you really feel good about your brands, each one of them does need its own dedicated uh, app. No question about that. But at this point, and I, this is not what anybody wants to hear, I I would be kind of looking for an FM uh, station in the marketplace. Either you already own it and you're willing to blow it up or you can find a way to acquire it. Because if your AM radio station is that great and you've got that much into it, then you really need to, again, move it to where the audience is. You know, we ask a question in tech survey and you know, Jason, these are core radio listeners. These are not average Joes. These are people who are in the radio station database. And we asked the 12% of them this year, if you're in the market for a new vehicle in 2022, uh, what are the features that you absolutely have to have? So for the first year of this year, Bluetooth beats FM. Whoa. These are core radio listeners yeah. and Bluetooth is ahead of FM. But the AM must-have percentage is really mediocre. So it is what it is. And if you have a great AM radio station and that's where it lives on the AM band, it's like having a Nordstrom's in a mall that is over in a bad part of town. I mean, <laughs> it, I, I, I hate to put it that way, but I, I think that's the reality. So you either need to move. Right. Yeah, or, yeah. or right. Or you, 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 you need to figure out a way to monetize your content above and beyond selling commercials um, and remotes. So tough time. I want to ask you about tech survey. You know, you've been studying behavior 
and you just alluded to, these are hardcore radio fans. These are people who pay attention to the brands. Um, as you look back, like over the last decade, if you mentioned just now how Bluetooth has trumped FM, and that's a big statistic. What are some of the other things that you've seen change over the last decade that just wow you when it looks at you know the way that audiences have changed and their their interest in different things have have evolved? So two things. Uh, one is how the importance of the personality in defining and making the brand has passed music, uh, obviously for all of those radio stations. And there's a lot more music stations, of course, than there are spoken word stations. But yeah, a few years ago on the overall hierarchy of why AM FM radio personalities passed music. And, and it makes sense of course, now that we look at the data, but music has been totally commoditized. Uh, by the Spotify's and the Pandora's and the satellite radios, but your personality is still something that is proprietary to you, that is special to your brand, that is driving some sense of emergency for your radio station. So watching personalities leapfrog above music has been one thing. Now, you know, let's put over to the side, our radio broadcasting companies doing enough to develop personalities and nurture and hold on to the great personalities that they already have? Those are tough questions. The other piece that I think has sort of been this evolving story has been the way that core radio fans are accessing their favorite stations, not on the air, but on digital sources. So whether it's streaming on a computer, streaming on a mobile device, listening on an Alexa or a uh, Google device, that percentage keeps going up pretty much every year. And yet most radio stations are still operating like the tower and the transmitter are the be all end all of how people are connecting with them. And so the need for a robust digital strategy to be able to market uh, and when I say market, I'm not talking about running billboards or TV commercials. That ship has sailed. But <laughs> right, but marketing on your own air and in social and that kind of thing that, hey, you know, you can listen to us when you go up north or, you know, when you go down to Florida for the winter, you know, take us with you. You know, your mobile app is a radio. I mean, all that kind of basic stuff. And radio's gotten better at that, I think, over the past several years. I mean, I think the messaging has improved that there's lots of different ways to access our content. We're, we're there wherever you are, but I would say those are probably the two biggest findings in tech survey, the rise of the personality and the rise of digital as a way to listen to broadcast radio. Tell, tell me if you agree with this, you know, one of the things that I tell program directors, anyone who will listen is I think PDs need to do a much better job at telling their collective brand story. Okay. I get people will send me ratings data. We've put out stories in the past on markets. We stopped doing it. And I stopped doing it because I was like, I'm just, I'm continuing a narrative that I know is broken. I yeah. know that this system is not right. Nobody is sending me their podcast story. Nobody's sending me their social impressions, their video views. But these are part of a brand story. And when you look at national networks, especially in sports, ESPN, the minute a game happens, will tell you how many people came out. They put out their story. Fox does it. You have digital companies that'll go, hey, we're up to a, you know, a million people have uh, you know, followed our content. I go, and radio be still back in 1995. Don't tell anybody about your ratings. And I'm going, why are we not telling our story when you need a story to shape impressions with people who are going to buy your ads, if they feel like there's something going on, they usually want to latch on to it. But how are they going to know that if you don't tell them? Do you think that we're still in that mindset of like, keep the information privy? And should we not be in that space? Cause that's kind of where I lean. No, I think, I think you're spot on with, with that entire line of reasoning um, we're still operating like it's 1988. I mean, 
the way we promote our radio stations, the way we talk about them, the degree to which we even tell our stories. Um, it's weird. We're not good storytellers when it comes to us. We're much better storytellers, <laughs> so when, true. right? When it comes to advertisers or, or that kind of thing. So now we're, we're missing the boat, I think in a lot of areas and, and, and look, people want to be in the hot spot. They want to be where other people are. And I, th I think the word is out there that radio's days are in the rearview mirror and that this is a medium that is on the down escalator. And we're in a position to be able to do something about that with our own storytelling and our own narrative. And that's usually the last thing we think about. I think part of the reason Jason comes down to, we still don't know who we're competing against, right? Mm -hmm. The rating book comes out and it's like, how did we do? Okay. We did this. How did they do? And they is always the other radio station in town, yep. whether whether it's the station and format that we're trying to beat the hell out of, or it's the big dog in the market, or it's the big rocks, whatever it may be, we kind of see ourselves in this radio versus radio world, where in reality, obviously, the ecosphere has expanded uh, in, a, in a huge way. But again, you know, this comes back to the Nielsen thing. You, if you remember... And you, you're probably not old enough, bless you. Uh, but in in the written Arbitron ratings report, public radio didn't show up. It just wasn't there. I'm not sure how that was originally decided by the ratings gods, but that's the way it was. And so when the book would come out, they were invisible. They were part of the electronic book, but they weren't part of the physical book. And so as a result... Radio stations didn't, commercial stations didn't think about them. They they didn't listen to public radio anyway. And then when they didn't show up in the book, out of sight, out of mind. And it's the same way with what's going on with digital and who we're competing against today. I mean, your average sports station is probably competing more with ESPN.com and the ESPN app than they are, you know, some radio station down the dial somewhere, but it's very hard to get the program director focused on, on that. The, you know, the other thing I would say, when was the last time you programmed? 2015, seven okay. years ago. All right. But that at least is in the modern era. Yeah. The last time I programmed was in 1983. Okay. And back then I was an off the air PD. I had the full complement of staff. There was nothing else out there but what was coming out the two speakers. I only programmed one station in one market where I grew up. And so all I was really responsible for was how it was doing. I look at what's on the plate of program directors now in terms of all the stuff they're supposed to be responsible for and they have to account for and they have to figure out how to market and promote between social media and the website and the app. And it just goes on and on and on. And it it really is to a great degree too much for one person to handle, especially if that person is programming multiple stations in the building or gasp multiple stations in other markets. I mean, there's just no way that enough attention product-wise is going to be placed in the areas where it it needs to be. So that's a problem too, right? Because all it roads is. sort of lead back to that. It's a huge problem. I, I've made this point before. If radio were in the film business, it would tell Steven Spielberg he has to work three production companies, write a bunch of movies, be in sales meetings, and you'd miss the point of why you hired him. You hired him because he creates movies that make millions of people want to go out and watch. And it's it's why, like, and I, I have friends in the business who get pissed off when I rail on the brand manager title. I don't believe in it. And brand manager sounds like, here, here's a bunch of shit to take care of. Program director is somebody who actually influences programming, makes content decisions. And it's hard to do that. Look, I, I think part of it goes to the same challenge we have with when we're talking about measurement, right? You want better measurement, it's going to cost more. Well, you want to do all these things and have a programmer focus on one thing? Well, guess what? We're in a flat to down business. Like you mentioned the, the elevator going down. 
hard to go and say, let's invest and have this guy make our product the best it can be when we have less revenue to work with. So I get their, their challenge and why they can't do some of these things. But the reality is when you have people with splintered interests in five different things, and maybe they're a master at two, but not at five, what happens? Things slip through the cracks. You don't become great at certain things. And, you know, it's not the individual's fault. They're trying to do the best with what they can, but they're just overwhelmed. Exactly. And a lot of opportunities end up getting lost, unfortunately. I mean, radio could be so much better than it is just as a product, but we have to put more into it. And I, I think given the economics of today, And the fact, I mean, here we are going into what everybody thinks is going to be a recession, whether that happens or not, almost is secondary to the fact that we're acting like it's a recession. We've already made cuts like it's a recession. We've laid off people like a recession. So apparently it's a recession because we we, we believe that. I'm sure you'll get a kick out of it and agree. If there is one thing we know about our business, as much as we love it, the minute there's something bad news out there that we can latch on to to say, we're going to have to minimize some expenses because now the problem is recession, the oh, pandemic, there's always something. And look, that was different. Pandemic, the whole world's affected. But if there's one thing next year, they go, hey, so listen, the uh, auto industry is only going to put out 33% less cars now. Going to have to take care of some people, get them out. There's always this rush to how do we make sure to minimize our expenses? And it's because the revenue is not growing. But if the revenue is growing in digital, nobody seems to be going, hey, since the revenue is going up, we need to add eight bodies digital. It's always the same thing. Yeah, it it, it is. And and I, you know, the part of the fuel of the business is fear. And and I think sadly that motivates a lot of decision making and look let's let's face it i mean the equation for radio has changed i mean we're not the business that we used to be we've been severely disrupted by new technology and new media but you know what we're still here we're still viable in a number of different areas we still hold a leadership position and people still listen and and they will continue to listen we got to figure out how to play these cards better because uh, they're not the cards that we had back in 1988. No right. doubt about that. But it's, it's, a, it's a tough. So that's why there's guys like you and me. Yeah. Well, listen, it's it's good <laughs> that uh, you and I both love the business and we want to see it do well. The problem is sometimes you could see it from afar. And I, I know I've gotten way better in the last seven years not being in a building than when I was in a building because I have an ability now to see a lot of things that aren't necessarily right and go, look, guys. You, you're paying me to tell you what good or bad. I'm telling you, you got a problem, but getting them to address it is always the biggest challenge. So here, because you and I are, are very realists when it comes to this situation, we, we'll, we'll paint a pessimistic picture if there is one. We'll give credit if it's optimistic and people should be excited. So if you're in a GM's shoes or you're an executive who's talking with a GM about, okay, we hear recession, We hear there's AM in danger, all these negative things that make you go, shit, should we even be in this business? If there's one or two things to be optimistic about going into 23, looking ahead to 24, from your vantage point, what would they be? So to me, the big opportunity, and no, nobody wants to hear this. (laughs) So, so I'll, I'll preface it that way, but look, I've long been a believer in local. And that doesn't mean syndicated programming is is bad. I we work for some syndicated uh, talent and shows, and they're great. Um, when your entire radio station becomes syndicated and loses whatever local license it had, that that's not particularly good. But I think local ultimately is our opportunity if we're willing to step into it. And every time I talk to an automaker. And I go, hey, you know, you, you don't work in radio, but if you were in radio right now, what would you be thinking? And they they, they say the same thing. Your personalities are really important. I, I grew up listening to so-and-so, or I still listen to Mojo, or I still listen to Dave and Chuck the Freak, or, you know, whatever it may be, and local. 
I mean, everything else has gotten global. We're local. And the thing that really kind of steeled me to all of that it was the pandemic, right? I mean, here was a global pandemic, and yet its effects were local. Where do I get tested? Uh, where can I get the vaccine? Are the schools going to be open? Do I need to wear a mask in order to eat at that restaurant? I mean, everything became a local issue. And yet in radio, we've done, we've worked so hard to get away from all of that and be kind of generic or whatever. So to me, it's about embracing the local community, especially maybe if you're up against companies that really don't have the staff uh, or don't have the boots on the ground in order to do that. If you've got some staff left, you've got some opportunity. I embrace the local community. And, you know, even basic stuff like mentioning cities and towns and the IDs and listener voices. And I mean, radio 101 kind of stuff, but people have an intense amount of pride in where they live and what's going on in their community. And a radio station that holds up the mirror to that, I think has a tremendous opportunity to not only survive, but thrive. So that's what I'm always telling my clients. Mm -hmm. um, and again, some some are already there and frankly are doing a better job than I, I could have done as a program director, but others are still, really? I mean, is local really that important? Look, you're in the sports world, so yes, it's important what happened, you know, with the soccer uh, uh, thing. I mean, right, that's global. But what your hometown team is doing, whether it's the Savannah Bananas or the New York Yankees, really freaking matters to people. It, it does, especially in sports. I mean, uh, one of the great advantages I've had in my career, which I didn't know at the time, I just was following opportunity, is I grew up in New York. I worked in Bristol, Connecticut, so I saw a national network. I wound up starting a station in Philly, a station in St. Louis, a station in San Francisco. I got to experience the Northeast, the Midwest, the West Coast. And nobody in the Midwest wants to hear, you know, three hours of talk about Aaron Judge's contract with the Yankees. I may want to while living there, but I'm not the target. I'm the program director from New York. And so it's, you know, if you were in St. Louis, all you cared about was the Cardinals. If you're in New York, you care about the Yankees. And, you know, there, there's obviously, uh, to your point earlier about syndicated can have a place at the table. There are some situations where, hey, if you got one great national show on a station, that could be a positive thing. It's just to your point about how are you going to be in touch with local people if 24 hours a day your content comes from everywhere else but your local market. And if you're a local business looking to attach themselves to the local radio station, you're probably not going to spend as much money on a local radio station if you don't have someone there that you can connect to who's going to advance and tell people about your causes, right? So, I mean, it's dead on what you just said. Well, you know, and the one thing that we did, you know, we did those three dash conferences back in 2013, 14 and 15 here in Detroit. And one thing we did at all three conferences was to have a talent showcase. And I got tremendous cooperation from the radio stations in town, Debbie Kenyon over at what was CBS and is now Odyssey. Uh, the iHeart cluster was great. Obviously, Greater Media Beasley who I, I continue to work for were great, but everybody stepped up. And so, you know, I had Valenny and Foster and I, I had them all. I mean, it was great. And what was really cool was that the auto, automotive people who, who came to Dash, and we had a lot of executives from all the automakers, they were like, hey, is it true that Dave and Chuck the Freak are going to be appearing at Dash? And it's like, yes. And it was clearly one of the most popular sessions that we did. And every Dash conference was Detroit talent. So I, I, I rest my case, you know, I mean, that's what it's about. It's about talent and it's about local. And it doesn't mean that you have to do it wall to wall, six, eight, uh, midnight or whatever. I mean, you do what you can do, but developing talent and focusing on the local community I think is just so critically important moving forward. I'm going to give you two last things. One, are we going to get another Dash conference? Or you, or you checked out of that? That's too much work. Uh, and then the second thing, tech survey. Next one, what you're really going to be keeping your eye on. 
Uh, so, you know, Dash was really done to raise industry awareness. I mean, we made money on all three of them. Radio Inc. was our partner, and they were they were great conferences. In our opinion, we were very happy with them. They were a ton of work. I don't have to tell you oh, yeah, uh, what, what, what it's like to throw a conference. And, and you know, in our case, we it wasn't hard to bring the radio-ish people in. It was very challenging to bring the automotive people in. We also did it pre-Zoom. I mean, it might not be as bad today with screens in the room and all that stuff. We've talked about it. It it could absolutely happen again. I mean, a lot of it really comes down to whether there are enough issues out there worth talking to that broadcasters can sink their teeth into. And, you know, based on the conversation that you hey, and I've already had. going away. I think there's a need, Fred. Right. Something tells me <laughs> that, that there, there may be that. Um, as for tech survey, uh, it uh, goes into the field in early January uh, through February. It looks like we're in really good shape in terms of the coalition of the willing, uh, the number of uh, stations representing the various format food groups that will be participating. Um, believe it or not, I'm taking a deeper dive into contesting uh, this year. I'm kind of looking at it like it's the only marketing that a lot of radio stations have left. So uh, let's let's learn uh, a, a little bit more about it. But we'll be looking at things like metadata in the dashboard and what do people want to see. Uh, I, I know you know the company Q that Steve Newberry runs. We work with them, full disclosure, but I'm, I've been a big believer with all the time that we've spent on the auto side that metadata is a huge opportunity for radio. We need to look better. But beyond that, beyond looking better in the dashboard, there are things that we could actually put up there, including, okay, I'm going to turn the tables and ask you the question. <laughs> one, one of the things that tests very well, and I see SiriusXM doing this, is score the game up all the time on the screen yep. and w when i listen to satellite radio i mean i don't know does it make me turn off the game if it's a blowout maybe um but it's just such a great thing to have like the time and we've tested it and it's a big deal so are you opposed to that or um, are you no okay listen with that? i you're talking to someone who <laughs> listens to a lot more serious right now than i used to listen to terrestrial uh, if I'm in my car, Sirius is on and it's everything you just described, especially on a Sunday. I get in the car. I know even if I find that blowout 20 to nothing. OK, that's channel 226. What's on 227? What's on 228? Um, the one thing they I've, I've told Steve Cohen this and I kind of blew his mind with it. He uh, I said, if I asked you what what channel I listen to most, what do you think it is? And he came back, it's going to be either Mad Dog or NFL Radio. I said, not even close. Octane. I yeah. said, let me tell you why. You guys have built music on there the way music used to be done on radio. It was about personality. It was, you know, Jose Mangan. They had a guy, Grant Random, who I love. And I like the music. So when, when I find channels, like I love Mad Dog Radio, I like uh, Octane, it's because it's built on personality. If it isn't for that, then I want sports and I want my games. And I do want to see, you know, down the road, I want to see a video clip of the last touchdown on my dashboard. I think we're going to be in that spot. You can't just give me a, here's a Titans logo and a Jaguars logo. <laughs> like, but I'll just not look at that. I'll pull up my phone and I'll find it. So I, I think that dashboard experience will continue to get better. I'm glad you brought up Q because I like that. They'll introduce some, even if it's an album cover. I feel like I'm connected to the song and the and the the band that I go, oh yeah, that was a great album cover. That was a great album. You know, it's make people feel something when they're in the vehicle. Well, it's an enhancement. There's no doubt. And you know, we're going to CES in a couple of weeks again, and we're schlepping a couple of uh, broadcaster tours, and it really is fun. But you know, the the big thing now in in the dashboard is this pillar to pillar display. I mean, all the way from the very left side of the car, all the way to the very right side of the car is all screen. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that kind of thing in the center. I mean, people look at the Tesla and go, oh, my God, it's like an iPad in your car. What's coming is much more screen real estate than that. So to your point, the passenger becomes an important part. 
both in the front seat and the people in the back seat. They're all going to have separate screens. They're all going to be consuming different content and they're all going to be monetizable. I mean, again, kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, right? With the OEMs. So there's a tremendous opportunity with video for radio, but again, we've got to step in. You've got to step up because it's happening all around us and the opportunities there do we have the wherewithal and the money and the foresight to be able to really take advantage of the opportunity, Jason? That's the question. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.